Shift VI Guts. And welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That, by the way, is Hungarian for Bon Appetit. Uh, I guess, which is a French phrase. But anyway, that is, it's in honor of Formula 3 driver Oscar Piastri, uh, who is in Hungary right now and tweeted, quote, So hotel is closed for lunch. No catering at the track. 15,000 euro fine if I am caught outside of the hotel or the track. Guess I'm eating my left arm for lunch. Uh, Alluding to Hungary's very strict COVID protocols. Uh, He later did get food. Uh, Just uh, in case you're wondering. Uh, I am Drew Scanlon. Joining me, uh, Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? Uh, Feeling more grateful that I had lunch today. Yes. Apparently there is a uh, there is a a DoorDash or Uber Eats type thing in Hungary. Um, so I, I believe he used that to to get food. Uh, Danny O'Dwyer is on assignment this week, um, but we are here to hold it down and discuss not only the Styrian Grand Prix but the upcoming Hungarian Grand Prix. Uh, another doubleheader for us today. If you are new to this podcast, welcome. Uh, and if you're new to Formula One itself, we recommend listening to. Um, our pre-season primer episode, um, which assumes no prior F1 knowledge and uh, gives the lowdown on how the sport works and who everybody is. So if you want to listen to that, it's episode 96. Also, this show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shift F1, where every month we release bonus podcasts and videos exclusively for our patrons covering racing documentaries and films, F1 video games, primers for other racing series, and uh, a lot of uh, weird things. So if you like to support the show and get access to all that fun stuff, head over to patreon.com slash shift F1 or click the link in the show notes. Today, however, well, we will be discussing, uh, as mentioned, the Styrian Grand Prix, and there's a lot to get to. Uh, anything, Rob, before we jump in here? No, let's just get to it. Okay. Um, Practice-wise, we only had two out of our three planned practice sessions. Um, because free practice three was rained out, uh, as shift F1, the podcast predicted, there was going to be a lot of rain, uh, on Saturday. And, uh, that turned out to be true, which was interesting because as race director, Michael Massey pointed out, um, if qualifying got rained out, uh, which has happened on the same day as free practice three, we would either try to do qualifying on Sunday before the race and if we couldn't do that, they would use the time set in free practice two, which would be wild. And I think teams knew that, this going in because uh, people were pushing pretty hard in free practice two. Yeah, I noticed a bit of that, that um, everyone was kind of having was trying to set their, uh, you know, in case of rain break uh, lap record uh, time as they were sort of hedging against the possibility that the weather would, would turn against them. Uh, and this is why I didn't get to see all of qualifying, uh, by the way, because I got 30 minutes of watching rain just pour in, uh, in Austria. And that was all my DVR grabbed. Um, oh, and no. I had to see highlights later. Uh, sorry to hear that. Um, also sorry to see Daniel Ricardo hitting the wall in free practice too. Uh, one of those teams pushing very hard. Uh, the team did manage to rebuild the car in time for qualifying, but it seemed like he banged his knee pretty good. Um, Norris also apparently had some back pain that he was managing, uh, at least through qualifying, if not part of the race as well. 
Um, that rainy qualifying did end up happening, uh, which means sort of a scrambling of the field. Rob, can you briefly explain what rain does in uh, a situation like this? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a couple things. Uh, first of all, racing conditions, track conditions are often very dynamic. Uh, when even even the rain is falling, it often is not falling at the same intensity uh, throughout a session, and so people are trying to figure out like you know when is the right moment to go out on track. Like literally, people will try to hit like the you know the two minutes where the rain is going to lighten up a little bit uh just so they can set a better time so there's a lot of uncertainty on on that score uh it makes the track a lot more chaotic uh it can make it harder to see traffic ahead of you and so there's just a like higher level of caution out there on the track but the, the biggest difference is probably that all these cars and what we expect from their performance is built on the expectations of dry weather conditions. Uh, you know, what we can expect from their brakes, their handling, etc. Um, all of that changes a great deal once rain is falling. Uh, aerodynamics become in some ways less important because people are running slower uh, in, in a rainy session. And so you just, you, you simply can't get the aerodynamic downforce through a fast corner that you could uh, in a dry session. So it just kind of changes what is valuable uh, in car performance uh, when, when the rain is falling. And on top of that, it also changes the demands on the driver a great deal. Uh, all your braking distances are different. Uh, there's a chance you'll have to be driving in some places basically blinded by the um, low-hanging mist that just hangs over a track in a rain session because uh, Formula One wet weather tires basically like throw water in every direction. And after a few laps of running, uh, they've created kind of a fog bank uh, hanging over the track. And if the, rain if the weather's wet enough, uh, that will just hang there. And you can't see. So it also changes a lot about, you know, who's going to excel in those conditions, uh, what your feel for the car is. Yeah, so we did indeed see uh, the effects of that in the final grid. But just to go over some of the things that happened in qualifying, Grosjean had an issue on his outlap, did not set a time. Apparently, according to Autosport, it was an ERS water pump failure. Um, Giovinazzi also, also crashed out with about a minute to go. Um, and in a session like this, yellow flags can really be killers because with the track drying all the time, times are drastically getting faster. So you can think that you're safe, but then suddenly, uh, you're out if you have to back out of your lap because everyone else has improved. Um, so, uh, those two Grosjean and Giovinazzi were knocked out in that round along with Latifi, Raikkonen, and surprisingly, uh, Sergio Perez, uh, Q2, the opposite sort of happened. Rain came back and the times didn't go down, meaning that Leclerc got caught out in 11th, unable to improve his time. Um, in addition to uh, Russell, who amazingly uh, for, for Williams qualified in 12th, he missed out on Q3 by 0.091 seconds, which is a really stellar performance. Uh, but also knocked out in Q2 were Stroll, uh, uh, Kvyat and Magnuson. Um, for Q3, it's back to a sort of drying, improving track. So the times kept tumbling as the test session went on. Uh, and while Verstappen was on his final lap, 
Um, Sebastian Vettel ahead of him was going into the pits, which uh, Verstappen blames for him uh, sort of losing concentration uh, and uh, spinning and not improving on his final lap. Um, seeding pole position to Hamilton. But just for emphasis, Hamilton crushed his own time and absolutely dominated the field, setting pole by over 1.2 seconds to the second place, uh, Max Verstappen. Yeah, Max was not getting that uh, that pole. It just no. it wasn't it wasn't happening for him uh, in those conditions. Uh, uh, by the way, of... just revisiting uh, practice for one second. Did mm-hmm. you see uh, Norris got handed a penalty at the back end of that? Uh, I didn't see it, um, but I saw you know after the, uh, the we haven't a lot of penalties actually to assess yeah, before yeah, the race weekend. starts. Uh, but yeah, he was penalized for overtaking under yellow flags in uh, free practice one. Leclerc was penalized three places for impeding Kvyat during qualifying. Uh, and Giovinazzi penalized five places for an unscheduled gearbox change. Um, and Grosjean, with that ERS problem, uh, they actually had to work on it late into the night, which means that they violated the... Um, the designated park Fermi times that you're allowed to work on your car by like an hour and a half or something. Uh, so he is actually required to start from the pit lane. Uh, in addition uh, to the um, scrambling um, that the wet weather caused, it also caused uh, this, uh, I guess, variation in the starting tire rule if you have a wet qualifying it means that you can start on whatever tire you want uh, regardless of what you used uh, in q2 so um we get uh, brand new tires for everybody and the top seven chose to start on softs i think the first driver to go on mediums was daniel ricardo um, so here is the grid after all of those penalties applied. Lewis Hamilton on pole, followed by Max Verstappen. In third place, we have Carlos Sainz getting his McLaren up there into third place. And then Valtteri Botas in fourth. Behind them, we've got Esteban Ocon and Alex Albon. Then Pierre Gasly, Daniel Ricciardo. Then Lando Norris and Sebastian Vettel starting 10th. Behind them, George Russell moves up to 11th as a result of Leclerc's penalty. Then we've got Stroll. Kvyat, Leclerc, Magnussen in 15th, then Raikkonen, Perez, Latifi, uh, and then Giovinazzi and uh, Grosjean starting from the pit. Rob, are you prepared to take us through the start? Uh, Yes, I am, in part because there's not much start to talk about. Uh, So, uh, yeah, at the start of this race, um, we get... A pretty clean and orderly getaway at the front of the field. Uh, Hamilton uh, gets away cleanly from the line. Signs goes hard at uh, at Verstappen. Um, goes outside of him. Uh, tries to go around him basically at turn one and again at turn three. Um, and looked like he almost got it done in turn one, but he ran completely off, so he had to sort of tuck back in uh, be- behind Max. Um, but it's all kind of mooted because coming away from the line, uh, so Vettel was in traffic uh, in in midfield there, there, and Leclerc 
tries to take the insidiest of the inside lines through turn <laughs> one. Basically, he's like, he is trying to basically uh, ride the curb, I guess, around the corner. There's just no room. There's He's aiming for an inside line that everyone is about to close uh, because the racing line goes right through that through that apex and, and nips that inside corner. There's already three, like two cars abreast. Doesn't stop Leclerc. He just he just kind of tries to shove his car in there, and um, you'd think that would be bad enough. Like already, there's going to be a collision, but the fates kind of deal Ferrari an even worse hand here because Leclerc, uh, as he enters this as he enters this corner, he gets jostled and bounces so hard on that curb on the inside curb of of turn one that in replay. His car basically like <laughs> it like pops into the air like it's spring loaded and just gashes the back the the rear wing off of Vettel's car. Um and and I think I think Vettel was even on the radio. He's like somebody took off my rear wing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the next thing the next thing we see is uh, his his busted car uh, limping limping back around. It's a full course uh, caution. Uh, like like immediately. The only other action on that on that first lap is is Russell trying uh, really hard to get past Lance Stroll. Uh, because you know Russell Russell's so close to those points he can almost taste them but then we're under uh we're under safety car and the Ferraris are out um both cars are too badly damaged to continue racing uh and they are both retired immediately and remember uh they had rushed some emergency like performance upgrades yes to this race because the pace was so bad last week uh, that they really needed to start fixing whatever the hell is going on with that car like this week. And the one of their priorities that was avowed before this race even started was they just needed to get some good running time. And this is really unusual. This is your perfect A-B test in a way that F1 doesn't give you this. Like, you don't get to run the same track twice and, like, see oh, see how yeah, the, right. the improvements you made uh, change the handling. Here, they were going to get to do that, and they get, like, 200 feet of clear running, and then it's done. Um, and I don't... I can't, like... Drew, help me out here. Uh, what do you what do you do with this team? What's going on? If you if you're if you're Mattia Bonato, what do you do? I have no idea. Uh, I because how many times can you say don't hit your teammate? These guys know it. I mean, I think when I first saw this accident at first blush, I was like, oh, there's Vettel just not caring because he's out of this team. Who you know, uh, he's just <laughs> wrecking balling his way through this field. But it wasn't. It was Leclerc, and I don't. I don't get it. I mean, and he even uh, he actually said during the race they they interviewed him and uh, played his response over the over the broadcast. He owns up to this in a way that I haven't seen many F1 drivers ever do. He says, uh, "Excuses are not enough in times like this. I'm just disappointed in myself. I've done a very bad job today. I let the team down. Uh, I can only be sorry, even though it's not enough." Um, but like. I, there is no explanation uh, there. It, yeah, you can be sorry, but like, what are you, what are you doing? I don't get it, and I don't know as a team boss what you, what you say, what you can do. 
Um, so I, I do not envy them uh, in that position. The when that happened, I like I couldn't help but think like five year contract. That's what they've got with Leclerc. Like he <laughs> yeah. they they declared like on the on the basis of that one season that like this guy's the future of our team. And I don't know, like I have felt since like the middle of last season, I think after uh after Max really got under his skin and we started seeing Leclerc get a lot more combative out there on the track, there were just a lot of incidents that, like, last year that did leave me thinking, like, that's a little edgy, right? That's, you know, this is a little too elbows out. Uh, I'm not sure this is clean racing. And by contrast, I think Max has become a much cleaner racer. Um, and th- there's some stuff later in this race that we can talk about to, to demonstrate that. But uh, Leclerc can be a little bit sharp-elbowed and a little bit reckless. and. Yeah. A little frantic. This is, yeah, and this is the wrong direction. Like, this is the worst thing I've seen him do in a Ferrari. Um, This is the worst thing I've seen him do in an F1 car. Um, And so I look at this and I'm like, this is not the development you want to be seeing from this guy uh, in his, like, third year in F1, his first year kind of leading Ferrari. Um, And... Boy, I hope they can right the ship um, because that's a that's a long commitment they've they've made to him, and he needs to be careful because I like Carlos Sainz is not going to come in there and make these kinds of mistakes. Like yeah. the next bar for Leclerc is not going to be can you best a flagging Sebastian Vettel, right? And, and like Sainz is someone who does have a lot of experience running in the midfield who is not going to make those sort of boneheaded mistakes. Like I I can't say for certain whether I would uh, not make the same mistake that Leclerc did, but like, I am not a, I have not been driving cars for, you know, almost my entire life. I, I have to believe that these guys have a sort of sixth sense about, you know, the next half second or two seconds, how they're going to play out with all these cars at this turn. And it just, this, this, uh, demonstrated or, you know, um, showed that, you know, he wasn't thinking that or was thinking of something else. Yeah, it's strange. Um, yeah. Should we move on? Yeah, absolutely. So lap four, uh, Russell was looking very racy, which I was excited to see, and was going real hard with Magnuson um, and was trying to pass him on the outside of a turn. And I don't think we saw this on the um, the broadcast, but... I went back and watched some of the onboard videos on F1's YouTube channel and like he, the car just snaps away from him as he's on the outside of a turn trying to overtake Magnuson and he just goes off into the gravel. So uh, really a bummer to see for me. I think points are possible for Williams this year with Russell. Uh, and I mean, you know, Latifi stayed in the race long enough um, last week to get what 11th. So uh, they're, they're flirting, flirting with it. Uh, I'm excited to see how that turns out. Uh, did you have something there? No, I'll just I'll just say I think they're in a they're in a weird place where I think their car is just good enough to knock on the door of the points, but I think it's like it, I think it's left Russell in a weird place where he is trying to make things happen because he knows these opportunities are not going to they're not going to be coming thick and fast uh, for Williams. Um, looking at that incident, it did look like 
him trying to get around Magnuson right there, like you're probably going to lose the car there unless you're in the hell of a car um, going around outside Magnuson in that corner. Uh, seems like it would be a, it'd be a tall order. Um, but I think if you're in a Williams at this point, like you kind of want to be trying to take these chances, right? Like if the getting is good, uh, unlike just about any other team on the grid, you you kind of can't wait for the race to come to you in Williams. Yeah. Um, continuing on with midfield battles here, though, signs in fifth place is kind of holding everybody up. Uh, he started in third, but he slipped back a little bit. Um, but behind him, we've seen some surprising pace from Ocon and Ricardo. It seems like um, they're looking much better than than last week. And then behind them, uh, also stacked up is Gasly, Stroll, Norris, and Perez, uh, all pretty close. Um, and it's about this time, lap eight or so, uh, Ricardo is behind Ocon um, and says, I've got much more pace at the moment. Uh, to which his team, I, I don't think, responds or doesn't seem to. At least we don't hear it on the radio. Uh, so Ricardo just tries it on Ocon and tries to go around his teammate. Um, he is rebuffed on lap 17, but finally does get by on lap 19. Um, and we'll come back to that in a second. But also uh, as a result of this, or, or in this this big battle, Gasly started strong in seventh, but uh, it comes under fire um, from the racing points and Norris around lap 17. Uh, Stroll gets by Gasly for eighth place uh, and then Perez. Um, and then Norris finally gets by Gasly uh, for 10th place on lap uh, 20. So a lot of leapfrogging there. What do you think of Renault not giving team orders here? Uh, I wouldn't. Like, it's your, your cars are not in a bad position on the track uh, at this point. And here's the other thing. Ricardo's gone. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just, if yeah. I'm on that pit wall, I'm not, I'm not adjudicating this stuff or for you all this year, right? Like, I want, I want both cars to finish. Um, but as far as I'm concerned this year, like, you probably don't have a real primary driver and you do have Ocon to look to in, in the future. So, uh, for me, I think it's, it's one of those things where you maybe sacrifice just a little bit of on track efficiency. Um, but you probably do send the right message and like keep peace in the, keep peace in the family, um, at a, at a weird point. Like this is, this is a strange season where so many people's, uh, like next career moves are already known. The silly season happened before the, you know, green flag flew. Uh, and, and so I think this is kind of one of those weird artifacts where, um, I think in, I think in a normal season, Maybe you do try to stage manage uh, this this part of the race a little bit more, but the way things are shaking out, nah. Let's see, <laughs> let's see how y'all do. That's 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 my feeling at least. What about you? Um, I, I think I don't know. I I think I have a, a narrower, more immediate view of these things. Like Ricardo's faster, and you're wasting time. He Ocon's wasting time defending against him. It would all just make sense if Ricardo just went past him. Then you would both be faster. So, I don't know. Uh, but 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 maybe yeah. you're right. No, I, I mean, I, there, did they know what to do with Ricardo's strategy throughout this race? I think is a good question. Um, well, it's it, about to it, change. Yeah, 
because uh, Okan retires on lap 26 with a, a cooling issue, which is apparently the exact same issue as last week. So Renault still plagued by reliability issues. Um, and then, uh, well, also an issue here for Grosjean. He's locking up, uh, indicating that Haas even has brake problems in this cooler temperature. So question marks abound there as well. Um but around lap 25 is when we start getting uh, pits. So Verstappen gets, uh, a <laughs> he is told over the radio, of course, but we see um, his pit message in a text box on screen rather than uh, the actual audio clip of Team Radio. What do you think of this new graphic? I kind of um, like seeing the text. I, no, the text is a godsend. The sheer number of times I have had no idea uh, what the hell I was supposed to glean from like a burst of like staticky uh, gobbledygook. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm glad they're doing this. Uh, but sometimes they wouldn't play the audio message; you would just see the text. And I like hearing the I, I like hearing the radio chatter. Um, so I think yeah. like my ideal is play the message, even if the audio is shitty. But like that closed captioning for uh, driver and engineer speak. Mwah. Ah, just an overdue change. Yes. Um, I, I like that Verstappen attacked the pit lane here. He is racing all the way to that uh, the pit entry line and almost I think he almost clips a wall. Um, but he pits, goes from soft to medium tires. Uh, the uh, projected pit stop graphic at the beginning of the race sh- predicted that everybody would go on to hards, but I think almost everyone went from soft to medium. Um, yeah, that graphic, uh, is not very insightful. I would say about, (laughs) about actual strategies. Yeah. Um, speaking of strategies, we get to talk a little bit about the undercut here, uh, which you may have heard on this broadcast. And, uh, if you've been listening, uh, in, in podcasts past, but, um, just to describe a little bit about what that is here, um, since we're still at the beginning of the season, uh, Red Bull knows that Verstappen, is slower than Botas, uh, who is behind Verstappen at this point. So, um, or actually, wait, I'm totally going to get this wrong. Um, Botas has just passed Verstappen. So what Red Bull does is they want to pit now and send Verstappen back onto the track and do faster laps than Botas is doing on his old tires so that when Botas eventually pits... He'll come out behind Verstappen because he's lost that time to Verstappen's new tires. That's the plan. Botas doesn't do that, though, uh, and stays out while Hamilton comes in from first place. So if I'm reading this right, Mercedes believes that Botas has enough of a pace advantage that even if he comes out of the pits behind Verstappen, he'll be able to overtake him uh, because he'll have fresher tires later in the race. I know that's probably hard to follow, but just wanted to give a little insight into tire strategy because it's one of the hardest things, at least for me, to, to grapple with because no one ever really explains it. Well, and arguably Verstappen's race hinges on this moment. Um, so what do you make of it? Uh, the, the decision to do this, do this undercut? I think... He, it's kind of all that Red Bull can do. Um, And I think Mercedes just is so dominant that they don't even 
cover it off, they just leave Botas out there. He finally pits on lap 34, which is, um, what, 10 laps later than, uh, than Verstappen? God, was it 10 laps? Or nine, nine or ten, uh, and, and he does rejoin behind Verstappen. But that those are that's a significant yeah. margin that his tires will be new later in the race. So uh, their plan is yeah. to overtake him later. I didn't, I didn't love the decision even at the time, uh, just because the th- like for me this is one of those like play the man type situations, and at least in. What we've been able to observe of Valtteri Bottas, uh, you know, to date, he's not a great tire manager. He's not a great car manager in some ways, right? Like he can have blisteringly fast pace, but he pace, but he's not necessarily the smoothest. Um, and I think, in general, like if I'm worried about uh, Bottas in a race, I am probably going to want to do the strategy. That's going to force him to run a long stint, uh, to be trapped on a long stint at the end of the race. Like that is what I'm going to push for, uh, rather than give him control of when he wants to make that call. Like I will always try to let that guy run his tires into the ground um, on on his stints, rather than letting him sort of breathe easy and decide like when he wants to switch, uh, when he wants to make a switch. You know, it's it's really a it's a vote of confidence from Red Bull uh, of Verstappen because they're saying, okay, we need you to defend against Botas late in the race, uh, and Max is good at that, and so they're saying like, all right, do your stuff. From Mercedes, it almost reads like a vote of no confidence in Botas. Like you can't uh, make your tires last, so you're going to grind these into the ground, and then we're going to give you some new ones as late as possible so that you can overtake Verstappen uh, instead of pitting now and then having to maybe defend against Verstappen who's better at saving his tires late in the race. So, um, yeah, who knows? The other thing here is that, uh, we're, you know, the teams have way more information, uh, at their disposal to make these decisions, but it's always nice to be the armchair quarterbacks. Um, around this time, we start getting the ascension of racing point, uh, lap 33 signs pits from fifth, but has a slow stop. So he is effectively passed immediately by Ricardo and Stroll. And then Perez, who was running three places behind signs, pits around lap 40 and rejoins the track right next to him. Uh, signs overtakes him on warmer tires, but Perez fights him and gets back uh, for seventh place. Um, both he and Stroll are kind of on it today. Uh, later, Perez reaches his teammate, and the two of them have a great back and forth. Um, and it's clean, which is honestly kind of different from when Ocon was <laughs> at uh, at the pink team. Um, eventually, Perez does take sixth place from Stroll uh, and is not done because he then passes Ricardo on lap 49 for fifth place and then starts chasing down Albon um, for fourth place. So uh, what, do you, what do you think of all this uh, racing point action, Rob? Uh, I think it's I, I think it's great. Um, the car has clearly made strides, uh, and Perez is continuing to establish that he is one of those um, like kind of an underrated gem of a driver, uh, possibly. You know, somebody who is 
just really good at uh, maintaining race pace and making good decisions, uh, you know, in traffic. Now, I don't know whether he always made good decisions when he was racing alongside Ocon. I thought a lot of that stuff was 50-50, but, like, he seems utterly secure on that team now. Um, and he makes really, like, judicious calls about where and when to uh, choose his choose his moment, um, for the most part. Uh, but yeah, I, I think the, the team is in a good place. Uh, even stroll looks like he has some, uh, some actual pace. Um, so yeah, it's, it no longer feels like, uh, the team is struggling quite as much with the, the hardware. And it also doesn't quite feel like they've got a driver and a half. Well, uh, two drivers, um, are, uh, coming to reap their pit decisions later in the race. Botas told that he'll catch Verstappen on the last lap. Um, I thought it was interesting. The, uh, the projected striking distance graphic, they showed it like three times and it was different every time. Like they kept having to recalibrate it because, uh, Botas is going to catch Verstappen in, you know, 17 laps. So now it's 10. Now it's three. It's a bad um, graphic. It's yet another terrible F1 graphic because it has no predictive capacity. It is like a snapshot of a moment. And then it says, well, if this continues on forever, here's what will happen. And that's not F1. And right. so it's kind of yet again, like a graphic that is meant to help like people get their bearings on what the state of play is in a race, but actually will leave you more confused about what is actually happening uh, because it doesn't quite like make the right guesses about how those values are going to change over the ensuing laps. Right. And I, I, I kind of like it in principle because it gives you something to look forward to instead of, you know, if you're, you know, again, if you're kind of new coming to this, you don't really know what to look forward to or what is going to happen. Uh, you just kind of think like, okay, are we just going to end? Is the race just going to end like this in an hour? Um, but yeah, uh, I, I did like the LED grandstand. They filled uh, one section of the seats with like LED panels and had kind of a, you know, a, um, a dot matrix display, which was pretty cool. Um, but uh, back to this battle here, Verstappen told he has front wing damage. I didn't see where he got that. Um, but Botas does catch him sooner than the last lap. Um on lap 66, he reaches Verstappen, and the two have at it. Uh, Botas is clearly in better shape, but Verstappen, uh, true to form, refuses to let go of his position. Uh, Botas passes with DRS, uh, but Verstappen goes wheel to wheel with him, taking the outside of turn four and manages to hang on. Um, uh, so he actually retakes the position at the inside of turn six, but one lap later, Botas takes it with DRS uh, and keeps the position. Uh, I couldn't this one, Rob. believe that duel. Like, given what we yeah. knew about the state of Max's tires, like, I couldn't believe that those guys were going around, like, wheel to wheel through multiple corners, um, and it didn't end in, in tears. Uh, it was really great racing, and also a bit, um, I don't know if poignant's the right word, but I'll just use it. Uh, Max knew he had no chance of defending that position, right? Like there was, yeah. there was basically like all he was doing was making Botas work 
really hard for it. Uh, but it was kind of cool that he was able to make that much of a fight of what, due to strategy calls, was probably never going to be much of one. Yeah, um, but the fireworks aren't over yet. Uh, just like last week, we have yet another uh, amazing finish to this race. Uh, the the big final battle here is for fifth place. Um, soon after that, Botas Verstappen clash on lap 70 of 71. Perez has caught up to Albon, who's in fourth place, um, and that's where things really kick off. He Perez attempts to pass at turn one, but dangerously rubs his front left on Albon's rear right, uh, earning Perez some damage, which, why does everyone want to spin Albon? I don't know what he did to the entire field, but everyone just wants to spin that guy. Um, then on the last lap, uh, close behind those two, Stroll attacks Ricardo, and both of them go off track, which not only causes Ricardo to lose sixth in a... Uh, a move that he com- will complain about um, uh, after the race. But he also loses um, seventh place to Norris, who was waiting in the wings behind those two. Norris has momentum and DRS on his side after this and uses it to pull even with Stroll into the next turn and try to go around the outside. Nearly dips it onto the gravel, but manages to hang on behind Stroll um, and get past him on the next lap in a DRS zone for sixth place he was in eighth remember uh perez is a little further ahead in fifth but he does have that damage um and norris manages to close up to him with a few corners to go then on the final corner perez with that damage runs slightly wide and norris pounces going from eighth to fifth in a little over a lap uh he was 13 seconds behind perez when stroll passed ricardo um, but we're not done because then there's a drag race to the finish for Perez, Stroll, and Ricardo. And just to give uh, this audio podcast a sense of how close all this was, I've prepared something uh, that I've always wanted to do. I've always wanted to be able to inject audio into this podcast. So I hope I hope this works. Um, I arranged a, an audio clip here. Uh, with a series of beeps. The first beep you will hear is um, Norris crossing the line and then the next three cars. So let's see if this works. Ready? That's how close it is. I'll play it again. That's how close. um, Let's see. The final standings here were between uh, Norris in fifth Sergio Perez holds on to sixth. Then that's Lance Stroll and Daniel Ricardo. Uh, and in like a, you know, hour 23 minute race, that's how close uh, those final positions came. Uh, there is a fantastic video on uh, F1's YouTube channel of all four of those guys onboard cameras uh, and their engineers yelling at them um, in the final two laps of this race. It's amazing. I'll link it in the show notes. Uh, Rob. Thoughts on this final battle? Uh, I thought it was terrific. I think like a lot of people, uh, I came away really impressed by Norris. Uh, Because on the one hand, yeah, like the uh, Stroll-Ricardo fight opened the door wide. Like when Stroll uh, forced Ricardo way the hell off and kind of also took a wide line himself uh, through, through, was that one or three uh, where he made that move? 
on uh, Ricardo. I think it was three. I want to say it was, yeah. Um, on the one hand, like that's a that's a huge opportunity for for Norris, but also that was such a heated duel, and those guys were weaving so much that like him pouncing into that fight was really dangerous. Uh, and for him to sort of quickly navigate uh, through what was was already kind of a running fight was really impressive. Uh, and then, yeah, wounded or no, uh, rounding up Perez uh, under those conditions was again just some really incredible pace uh at the at the end of that so it was um it was it was great like for me this kind of until that ending i might have said this was a poor follow-up to last week's race um not a bad race but not as certainly not as thrilling uh and then yeah these last like two laps uh just had such a such an embarrassment of riches uh, when it came to on-track action uh, that, like, I think I came away really happy with this race, uh, despite the fact that I think for, like, you know, almost 70 laps, I was kind of like, I think I know how this is going to go. And in a lot of cases, I, I you know, the race didn't necessarily surprise me. That ending surprised the hell out of me. Yeah, I agree. I, I think, um, I think even though uh, it, maybe didn't measure up to the first race of the year. Um, still a pretty good race. I would, I would, I would say this is probably near what a normal formula one race would, would be. If this is your first season, um, I would, I would come away like thumbs up with, with this race. Um, so, uh, just for, just for context there, did you watch the podium at all? Yeah. Oh yeah. Are we going to get to the robots? (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, it was... I I loved this uh, this sequel to the Americans uh, Mailbot in uh, in the in the FX series. Uh, yeah, it. So the first race, um, first race under COVID, they, the cars just kind of stopped on the track, and then um, the I think the trophies were sitting in front of these mobile podiums. Um, you know, they're just like these little uh, circular stands that the drivers get on and they just kind of walked up there and grabbed them and uh, grabbed the champagne and it was all just kind of there set up, just sitting on the track. This time there's AstroTurf. Uh, there's a fog machine. Uh, the the winning team has their own champagne splash zone, which was cool. Big old step and repeat for Pirelli. Um, we got flags this time that actually raise... Um, which is frankly, I, I like that better than just having a screen with the animated GIF of a waving flag. For sure. Um, but Rob, please explain to us how <laughs> they hand out the trophies this time. Yeah. So you got the drivers on their socially distanced uh, podiums, mm-hmm. and then each of the trophies is sitting on um. Something about the size of a trash can, like a like a square cube about the size of a trash can with a little trophy on the top of it. And at the appointed moment, when it's time to present the trophy to the menu, the uh, the manufacturer, the winner, the like all that, uh, the the robot would sort of like go 
and like trundle forward over and stop awkwardly in front of the person uh, who it was delivering the trophy to, they would take it and then it would sort of trundle away. And then after always, every single time, a slightly uncomfortable pause, uh, the next one would make its delivery. Um, and it was incredible. Like I, I love the trophy bot. Uh, the trophy bot needs to be at every race. I don't care if people don't like it. Uh, in F one, uh, the trophy bot was my driver of the day. <laughs> it was so unexpected for me. I think because it, it was just so goofy. I, I haven't seen this level of goofiness from Formula One in a long time. I was like laughing alone in my apartment. Um. I thought it was great. I I don't know if it's going to be funny for that long, but uh, it's so it's so silly. I I do hope they keep it at least for a few more races. Um, one more notable thing about the podium. Uh, the so as Rob mentioned, not only the three drivers get their trophies, but the winning constructor also gets a, a free trophy. And the sort of tradition, um, I think, among all the teams, is to send up a different representative of the team every time. It's not like the team principal every time. It's some other member of the team. Um, so for Mercedes, um, it was a woman named Stephanie. I don't have her last name here, um, but it's uh, Lewis Hamilton pointed it out on this uh, Instagram post here. Um, he said, I-, I wanted to post this and it's a picture of him uh, with Stephanie uh, because it's such an important moment. This is Stephanie, who's one of my teammates. She's one of our trackside fluid engineers. On Sunday, she became the first black woman to stand on the podium in Formula One history. This is an amazing achievement, and I just wanted to acknowledge her for her hard work, positivity, and passion for her job. Like most of the jobs in our sport, they are in high demand, and Stephanie was selected out of over 7,000 applicants for her role. Steph says she wants to inspire young black children and children of color to believe that they can do it too, and I couldn't agree more. Put your time... Uh, put your mind to it and you can be anything you want to be. So whilst I really appreciate all the congratulations, I want to take the opportunity to lift her up uh, and share them with her. Hashtag manifest hard work be the change. Uh, so ironically, uh, Autosport profiled her before the season started. Um, they do a series called My Job in F1. They talk to people sort of behind the scenes who mm-hmm. work for uh, different parts of the uh, of the show. And they profile Stephanie Travers uh, in June, sort of talking Travers, to her you. about like uh, what her what her race weekend uh, looks like and what she actually does, uh, you know, at these at these events. So it was cool seeing her getting that recognition. It's cool seeing her kind of given this recognition uh, throughout the season. Yeah, and that was uh, the second race of two in uh, Austria. Um, But we're not quite, maybe not quite done with this race yet because, uh, what do you know, another team has a problem with another team. Uh, Renault has formally lodged a complaint against Racing Point's car, uh, which, you know, if... The FIA hands them down a penalty, uh, could see their result in this race changed. So, um, as we've mentioned a few times in the past, uh, Racing Point's car this year is pretty much a direct copy of um, Mercedes's 2019 car. And one thing that I think 
a lot of uh, news outlets and the TV broadcasters fail to point out here, which is critical, is that's not a problem necessarily. You, you can look at a car and just take all their ideas. What you can't do is share data and designs between teams. So you can copy the work of uh, your classmate, but you can't turn their homework in as your own. So, well, and uh, this ties to what is already kind of a sore point in F1, which is that now there are so many customer teams who don't do a lot of the things that F1 teams used to do, right? Where they used to have to, like, you know, create their own engines, uh, you know, transmission, etc. Um, now there is this growing concern, particularly among, like, teams like Renault, but also just kind of a identity question for, like, what is F1? There's been this move to teams basically outsourcing as much as humanly possible of that sort of what used to be internal design, outsourcing that to other organizations, in particular, their power unit suppliers. Um, and this was a concern around the Haas team when it joined the sport as well, right? Like, well, it, you know, that's not really an original entry. It's like a, a half Ferrari, I think, was sort of the, the beef people had against that. And so for Racing Point to just fully lean into the not only running Mercedes power and we're taking sort of a lot of the back end, uh, you know, drivetrain components from Mercedes. But now we're just going to copy paste as much as possible uh, what we can glean about their design uh, is sort of sticking their finger in that in that sore point. Right. Um, and. It's worth mentioning that a lot of teams just can't do this stuff because if you don't run the same power unit, you probably can't adapt somebody else's aero package to your car very well because, like, the way that engine is installed changes how the uh, the car parts are put together. And so even if, like, even if a Ferrari-powered team took like crazy detailed photos of the Mercedes, they probably still wouldn't have the option to completely lift that design uh, just because there's a point where that would be incompatible with the drivetrain they're, they're actually running. Racing Point didn't have that concern, and so they were free to do this. And so even before this season started, there was a lot of like hand-wringing about like, is this what we want F1 to be? Personally, I like it. Like, we don't need more shitty cars running around F1. We don't need it. Uh, this seemed like a cool solution, but there are limits to how much you can borrow. Yeah, so Renault is just, quote, uh, seeking confirmation uh, that Racing Point's parts are all uh, above board, I suppose. Um, so the FIA is uh, going to look at some of their parts and compare them to Mercedes's uh, and then hand down a, uh, a verdict. Um so, well, and it sounds like the thing hinges on the brake duct design, right? Um, uh, yeah, go for yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, no, like it's. Um, I'm just basically gonna point you to the piece that Dieter Rankin uh, wrote about it for RaceFans.net, uh, basically explaining like what brake ducts do and why their design is important. Um, 
So here's a quote just sort of explaining what this part of the car does uh, per Rankin. Brake duct designs are usually car specific as they channel air around and under the chassis. Their ram effect complemented by ventilated brake discs with, which spin at up to 350 kilometers per hour. Think of brake discs as 278 millimeter diameter fans. Then imagine the levels of air generated by up to 1500 cooling holes per disc, which is then channeled in whichever direction the aerodynamicists desire. Uh, the argument coming from Renault is that Racing Point's brake ducts are Mercedes uh, brake ducts, effectively. And according to new rules that were sort of instituted for this year, I think, uh, that is not legal. Um, and there's, there's, some other, there's some other weird things about the uh, braking system that Racing Point is using this year uh, that make it a little unclear as to where did uh, their their brake system design come from? Uh, it there's there's not evidence that it was taken or, or issued by Mercedes, but there's evidence that maybe Racing Point, like that nobody at Racing Point seems to have taken ownership of like having led development on uh, on these brakes. So yeah, it um. There's there's kind of two layers to this is one is, is sort of the allegation against Racing Point broadly correct. And two, even if it is, is that a violation of the rules? Well, we shall see. Um, and uh, we shall see what the final uh, points payout is, uh, if any changes are to be made. But as it stands now uh, in driver speak... Valtteri Botas is in first place, followed by Lewis Hamilton, and then Lando Norris in third place in the Drivers' Championship. Uh, behind him, we have Charles Leclerc, Sergio Perez in fifth, then Max Verstappen in sixth. Behind them, Carlos Sainz, Alex Albon, Pierre Gasly, Lance Stroll is in tenth. Uh, then a tie between Esteban Ocon and Daniel Ricciardo. Uh, Antonio Giovinazzi is in thirteenth, and then a tie for fourteenth with Daniel Kvyat and... Uh, Sebastian Vettel. Behind them, Nicholas Latifi, Kimi Raikkonen, Kevin Magnussen, Roman Grosjean, and George Russell all have zero points. Team-wise, Mercedes on top. McLaren still in second place, followed by Red Bull Racing in third, Racing Point in fourth. Ferrari is in fifth place in the Constructor Championship, followed by Renault, Alpha Tauri, uh, and Alpha Romeo uh, is the last team with points. Then we have Williams in ninth, and Haas uh, tied with them both with zero points. Um, we're not done talking about Racing Point, though. Um, we have some updates to the driver market. Uh, as rumored last week, Fernando Alonso is indeed confirmed next year to be partnering Esteban Ocon at Renault, uh, replacing Daniel Ricciardo's seat uh, as he takes over at McLaren for signs. Signs is moving to... Ferrari, which means Sebastian Vettel is out of a job, question mark. Rob, what did you know going into this weekend? Uh, I knew that things were getting pretty sad uh, over at Shea Vettel. Uh, so the entire weekend, we have gone from, oh, where is where is Sebastian Vettel going to end up? To Vettel spent this last racing weekend uh, basically saying like he would drive for anyone. 
Um, there were awkward, like, so after the first race, there were some pictures of him hanging out with his old buddies from Red Bull. Um, uh, Dietrich, not Dietrich Matashitz, um, Helmut Marko and, uh, and Christian Horner. Uh, and so people were sort of reading tea leaves there and being like, well, why would Seb break the, uh, the COVID bubble if not to sort of reconnect with his old friends and maybe they're going to give him a job. And that was dashed. Um, by Horner in an interview with Sky uh, during practice where uh, Crofty kept trying to get him to be like, would you be open to Vettel coming back? And Christian just had to sort of pour cold water over that. He's like, yeah, we've got these commitments to these really good young drivers. And so, um, sorry, that's a definite no. Uh, We will not be bringing Sebastian here. Uh, and so Sebastian like, had spent the entire weekend saying he'd be open to Red Bull. He'd be open to Racing Point. He'd be, and I think he'd even confirmed he had talked to Renault uh, before they, as expected, went with Alonso. But uh, if memory also serves, even Racing Point had said, like, nah, man, like, we don't, we also don't have room uh, for, for Vettel uh, at this team. So it was kind of like last I knew, it looked pretty dire uh, for Vettel. Yeah, well, uh, a lot can change in a few days. There has been no confirmation or anything yet, but the rumors uh, are coming fast and furious out of Germany. The German newspaper Bild um, says that uh, Sebastian Vettel is very close to signing with Racing Point. Um, no word on which driver he would be replacing because both of those seem uh, to have their own uh, cases for why they should stay. Lance Stroll is the son of the owner, uh, Lawrence Stroll, and uh, Sergio Perez not only has a driver contract through 2022, um, but he, uh, at least the way that it's portrayed in the media, practically single-handedly saved that team from force India by forcing it into bankruptcy. So we don't really know what's going on, but I have never, this is as many um, confirmations as I've ever seen for a rumor. Even formula one.com is reporting the rumors that uh, Sebastian Vettel uh, will be in at racing point for, next year okay so i've not been the biggest lance stroll fan uh on this podcast and i have sort of wondered when like there's a point as a parent where you gotta take your kid aside and be like hey maybe this dream is not really like worth chasing right like this this may never be the thing (laughs) you want it to be and and lawrence seemed like a cold enough fish that like i could see him at some point making that call to be like look uh you're not an f1 driver at this stage in your career um i could i could see that uh being being a thing that comes up i could see stroll sort of realizing that this is it's it's a it's it's tough world uh in well here's the other thing is that this team is going to be uh, Aston Martin next year. And yep. yeah, St- Lawrence Stroll is like the head honcho, but it's a conglomerate of owners that own Racing Point. And so 
at one point do they say like, hey man, we're in this because it's a business. We want the best drivers in there. Why don't you get Sebastian Fettel and Sergio Perez to be the best possible drivers at this team that we're funding? Uh, and then, I don't know, Lance is a reserve driver. Or maybe you could sweeten Haas with some uh, some sweet money and put him in there. Yeah. Um, there was something that... So in that same interview with uh, with Horner, there was a part I found really ambiguous. Uh, when they were t- asking him to speculate about Vettel's future, Horner said something that, like, it's all over radio, so, like, the audio can be a little bit spotty, but he said, uh, yeah, like, they're very happy with Perez over there, and uh, Lance, uh, it doesn't seem like he'll go far. And hmm. at the time... So the way it heard to me was the way the way I heard it was Horner saying like I don't think the stroll thing is working out. It doesn't seem like he has a high ceiling. But then I thought no, that's crazy because his dad owns the team. So what he must mean is that like he won't stray far. He will he will stay close to that paddock. Um, but yeah, what if like Horner already like what if the rumor is already out there uh, that. Stroll might be getting moved aside because I just don't think it is defensible to say Perez uh, would be the person you replace. That doesn't seem on no level is that defensible. It's not defensible that he would have to go and Stroll would uh, and Stroll would stay. It's also not defensible at this point that you would throw him out to make room for Sebastian Vettel. Uh, I don't care how many championships he's had in terms of like who has been a driver I want driving my car on Sunday, it's uh, it's Sergio. And, you know, Vettel kind of ha- is a rehabilitation project at this point. Yeah, it's kind of... I, I feel similar to the way that I felt when um, um, Stoffel Van Dorn got kicked out of McLaren right when they started to get good. Because, like, your car wasn't good before. How do you know that Van Dorn's not your guy? How... Wh- how do you know that Perez isn't your guy now that your car is good? Um, because he hasn't had the chance to like, I it's, it's just seems sometimes a little crazy to uh, just assume that Vettel is well, I don't know. Um, yeah. It's yeah. just, you can't, you can't say he has tons of championship at this point And like, you, of course you want Sebastian Vettel. Like, I think those, like what we've seen in the last few years, all those championships have asterisks by them, which is that he had a dominant car. And when he's been thrown into the pack, um, he's become a kind of mediocre driver. Um, so, yeah, it's it's so weird uh, for this to be where this is. And like, I'm... I'm I am baffled uh, by this. The The only thing my brain can process is that somebody like had the heart to heart with Lance and it's like, maybe you're a journeyman again. Uh, maybe that's what you're ready for. Cause the notion that somehow Perez uh, with, I think his own sponsorships uh, gets screwed in this. That doesn't scan. Yeah. Although, you know, Lawrence Stroll does have infinite money. And as uh Artel, uh, in the Shift F1 Patreon Discord points out, ESPN.com slash, or dot MX, so Mexican ESPN is uh, reporting that uh, a rumor 
that uh, Perez is trying to get a seat at Haas or Alfa Romeo. So what? that means that he might be the one. So, uh, but like, boy, Haas sure could use that Sergio Perez sponsored money. And he's a North American yeah, driver. Yeah, go really far there. Yeah. And he would be, he would be an upgrade no matter who he replaces over there. Um, yeah. Yeah. It just, it, he, the guy deserves better. Yeah. Oh my it God. But like, uh, yeah, it doesn't make any sense, but when does Formula One make sense? Uh, or as uh, as Murray Walker often says, anything can happen in Formula One, and it usually does. Thank you. I was wondering when that soundboard would uh, <laughs> would make its presence felt. It's here now. Um, two more things confirmed. Mugello is happening. As uh, as Rob, you hoped it would. Um, after Spa and Monza this year, we will be racing the Grand Prix of Tuscany in Mugello, followed by, that's right, Sochi. Thank God we're getting Sochi. <laughs> I was worried. You know, uh, so be many a... classic venues we won't see this year, uh, but Sochi, um... We will get to appreciate the majesty of a Walmart parking lot uh, if it had a Grand Prix uh, track built into it. Yes. Um, Tuscany will be on September 13th, the third of a triple header with Spa and Monza ahead of it. Uh, And then we'll have a one week break before we get to Sochi on its original September 27th date. Um that's all I've got for news. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to mention here? Uh, just, I think it's interesting, the the ongoing discourse around the end racism uh, campaign. Hamilton's being really diplomatic about all of this. But there's a detail in an interview he gave, uh, I think this last week, talking about apparently in 2017, he had a Colin Kaepernick like tribute helmet he was ready to debut at uh, Austin. And he says that someone he was advised from outside from someone in the States who was really quite high up that it wasn't the time for me to be doing so. And there were potential consequences for me doing it. So that's why they advised me not to do it. Uh, you know, too long didn't read. So he, he ended up sort of not wearing the helmet. He, he did talk to Kaepernick. He's, he's spoken with him. Uh, but I do think it's it's a mark of how much the discourse has shifted that in 2017, somebody would have like draped their arm over Lewis Hamilton's shoulder and be like, you know, uh, maybe supporting Black Lives Matter uh, and protesting police violence. This just isn't the right moment uh, for that. And now, if anything, the shoe's on the other foot, right? Where uh, the question is more pointed, like, well, why, why wouldn't you uh, support these things? Um, interesting. you also had Kafiat uh, sort of try to explain why he didn't, uh, you know, take the knee during that, during that uh, demonstration uh, before the race. He said, for me, uh, I would say my mentality, it doesn't really, in my country, it doesn't allow me to go on my knee. It's only for a very particular reason. I'm ready to show in any way that I am against racism, but the knee is something that I opted not to do on Sunday. So this continues to be just a, a weird discourse in a sport that in a lot of ways is not traditionally uh, built to handle this, but 
it does feel like uh, with with Hamilton sort of shepherding it in the right direction, it is it is grudgingly being uh, pushed in that direction. So, uh, you know, it's the arc of this is something I'm interested in seeing how it continues uh, across the across the season. Well, speaking of the continuing season, should we get to Hungary? This is getting pretty long here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Hungary. Um, I'm probably... You know what? Danny sets an impossible standard. I'm just yeah, going to really get does. that out the door here. Uh, so, the the main thing about Hungary... The main thing I'm here to do with Hungary is I want to defend Hungary uh, as, as a track. Uh, so the it's it's real claim to fame in F1 is that it was the first uh, Grand Prix circuit built like behind uh, what was called the Iron Curtain, uh, separating the Soviet Union uh, from the uh, Western Bloc. And beyond that, the thing it's kind of notable for is being a really uh, Difficult track to to overtake at. Comparisons sometimes are made with with Monaco. I don't think they're fair, um, but it it does undeniably have a few traits that make it a challenging place for a lot of on track action, and maybe has historically contributed to it being a circuit that throws up a lot of processional races. Um, and the the few changes they made to the circuit have been in the name of trying to generate a little more action. They, uh, in 2003, they lengthened the main straight a little bit, and uh, they also tightened the uh, hairpin at the end of it to, to try to generate some, some drama. Uh, but the, the thing about the, the, the track is that it, is, it doesn't have a lot of runoff, and it is a track that is all about flow in in a lot of ways like this is there are really very few corners uh at the, at the circuit that you don't need to nail perfectly to set yourself up for the next one uh and so it it ends up being a really challenging and unforgiving circuit uh and also one that I think, contrary to reputation, has also created some interesting races uh, in the last couple of years. I think last year we had a really exciting uh, tire strategy duel uh, play out between Hamilton and uh, Verstappen as Verstappen was trying to hold on to a pretty huge lead on a completely done-in tires. And Hamilton had to make this like heroic... Uh, Basically, I had to make two real, like, long, uh, sustained attacks to to overtake him eventually before the end of the race, uh, but which he did because uh, Verstappen's tires were were pretty much blown by the end. Um, but yeah, so the 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 thing to to bear in mind is that this is a circuit uh, that is not going to give too much of an advantage to just raw straight line speed. Uh, basically it's, you can, you can almost say there's, there's kind of two identities, uh, that the circuit has. One is a very technical demanding half of the circuit, uh, where it is all just about flow through corners and maintaining optimal pace. And then there are a couple very limited places where you can really let that engine out and really break pretty deep uh, into a corner and give it a shot. So let's, let's go through a lap real quick here. 
Um, so, you know, you come off the, the start finish line, you head up to a very tight turn one. Uh, the, the turn kind of describes, uh, it almost looks like a knife in in some ways where the where the tip of the knife is turn one and then the curve of the blade is the exit uh from turn one which gives you your first drs zone of the lap uh so the 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 corner entry is very tight but it unwinds very quickly and you have a very fast run down to a sort of uh surprisingly tight sweeping left-hander and then that leads you quickly to a right-hand kink at uh, turn three. And that leads to a slightly steeper uh, left-hand kink. And then a really, like, carousel uh, carousel right-hand turn at turn five. Uh, sort of sweeps you around, takes you to a, uh, a chicane, and then a series of, like, left and right-handers through left through eight, uh, you know, fast, hard, right through nine, uh, kink a 10. And then you're starting to enter, uh, you're sort of picking up speed on the back half of this lap. And you take a right through 11, and then you sort of hit um, the entry to setting you up for a hairpin uh, at turn 13. So you make a right, uh, a hard right in 12, and then you come through a long sweeping hairpin at 13 and then a slightly wider, it's a different turn radius, a wider right hand hairpin through 14 uh, that spits you out onto the DRS uh, main straight. And that's the lap. But what we've sort of seen through the last couple of years is that at the end of that lap, uh, as you approach that first hairpin, and then you you sort of come through that complex and up the uh, up the main straight. All of this is very favorable to like deep braking and like straight line speed. And then the rest of the lap has nothing to do with that. And so like one of the dynamics we saw with like the duel between Hamilton and Verstappen is that where cars differ in performance can lead to these like really long but interesting kind of sieges where each car has an edge in different parts of the track, uh, but neither of them can really build on it because the part of the track where you're disadvantaged, you end up giving that time back. Uh, and so it's difficult to be strong across the board. And I feel this has been a, this has been sort of a feature of this track where it kind of neutralizes uh, some of Mercedes like raw um, like power advantage that they had for a number of years um, and also doesn't necessarily flatter their low speed corner uh, ability. And so it's it's opened the door a little bit to a little more competition, certainly from the Red Bull uh, and has given us some interesting racing. The other part of this is this feels like a track where um, tire strategy ends up being more critical uh, than you see at other circuits, um, in part because when you have this sort of circuit, one of the few places that you can like really gain some advantage in time trying to make an attack is just braking late and trying to take a little more out of your tires. Uh, this sort of memorably set us up for uh, the 
catastrophic ending to Daniel Ricardo's race uh, two years ago when he tried to overtake a completely, uh, you know, exhausted Valtteri Botas uh, on spent tires. And Valtteri just kind of punted, uh, <laughs> punted Danny into the, uh, into the dirt at the, at the end of the main straight. Um, one fe- one last thing I'll mention here. The circuit itself is not tight the way Monaco is tight, where you've got guardrails and fencing everywhere. But it doesn't have generous runoff uh, space. And so, like, if you run straight off in a corner, you're going into a tire barrier. And so the thing this track won't really forgive is kind of overshooting a corner and getting it wrong going way too deep. Um, That will probably be the end of your day. Uh, but it does allow a little more forgiveness on corner exit where you have a little bit of lateral runoff uh, that you can fall back on if you uh, if you understeer coming coming out of a corner. Uh, but yeah, it, that, that is probably the big inhibition to there being big dramatic moves at this uh, at the circuit. There just isn't enough daylight between you and the uh, crash barriers to really allow some of the things we saw at Austria, uh, for instance. Um, it's just it's just not very far uh, between you and a crash. Well, there's going to be even less daylight, Rob, because we've got scattered showers forecast for, uh, n- for qualifying day and scattered thunderstorms for race day. Uh, that translates to about a 20% chance of rain on qualifying and maybe... 25 to 35% on race day. Um, temperature is pretty low uh, comparatively, 75 degrees Fahrenheit or 24 Celsius uh, on race day and similar temps um, on uh, qualifying day. Light winds, but uh, yeah, the precipitation um, may rear its head uh, again. Um, okay, look forward to that uh, this weekend. Uh, you can also hop in our fantasy league if you like. Uh, there's a link in the show notes. Uh, the top five for this week are the teams Max for Slapping, Force to Pit, Buckaroo Bonsai F1 across the eighth dimension, Will Will Smith, Will Lewis, and finally Sam Team 2 in the number one slot. Meanwhile, I have climbed to number 772. So no big deal. Um, if you'd like to email us, you can do so at shift one podcast at gmail.com or go to f1.cool slash emails. We're also on Twitter, uh, at shift F one podcast. I'm at drew Scanlon. That's at Rob Zachney, Danny O'Dwyer's at Danny O'Dwyer Dwyer. That is us around the internet. Now it's time to race around the world. IndyCar is at the Iowa speedway for the, uh iowa race one is all it says on my calendar here um, their doubleheader last weekend ruled by the way so yeah okay uh, yeah like i'm probably gonna i'm probably gonna make time to watch that one yeah there's uh friday and saturday uh is happening uh indycar uh this weekend f2 and f3 are also supporting formula one this weekend in hungary uh, the IMSA WeatherTech Championship, their round three is happening this weekend at the Sebring International Raceway on Saturday. Gander Mountain Trucks, they're out in force at the Texas Motor Speedway for the Vancor 350. Is that right? I don't know what Vancor is. 
Uh, okay. Like Apple Core or like Military Core? Like a body um, of- neither. It's V A N K O R, no space. Okay. Thank- mm. Well, the uh, the supercars. They're at the Sydney Motorsports Park, for round four and five. Uh, no, it's just round four, but there's three races actually. One, two, three. Um, MotoGP, I think, is kicking off their 2020 season at the Circuito de Jerez for the Gran Premio Red Bull de España. Very excited about uh, MotoGP coming back. Uh, and Super GT also kicking off uh, their 2020 season at the Fuji Speedway uh, in Oyama. Uh, Suntogun. Shizuoka Prefecture. And last but not least, we got NASCAR. Uh, They are racing at uh, also the Texas Motor Speedway in the O'Reilly Auto Parts 500. It's a shame we don't have our Irishman here. Uh, Also, we could have talked about Patricio Award. (laughs) That's true. Doing, Uh, Doing two countries proud, maybe three. Uh, doing pr- doing three countries proud in uh, in Indy. Uh, the Xfinity series of NASCAR is also racing at the Texas Motor Speedway in the My Bariatric Solutions 300. So there's that. Uh, if you want to watch Formula One this weekend, uh, they are starting Friday, July 17th. Uh, Free practice one kicks off at 5 a.m. on ESPN2. That's Eastern Time, followed by practice two at 9 a.m. Saturday, practice three is at 6 a.m. on ESPN News. Then we have qualifying same day, Saturday, July 18th at 9 a.m. on ESPN. The race, Rob Zachney, 9.05 a.m. Eastern Time on ESPN. Uh, We are really... We've been treated to a lot of great Formula One over the last few days, uh, hoping it will continue. Um, anything else uh, you want to shout out before uh, we end the show here? No, I'm just sitting here on Twitter, refreshing searches for Sebastian Vettel and Sergio Perez. Yeah, I, I think uh, I saw someone saying that there could be a clause in Perez's contract um, that expires on July 31st. So if they're going to get this done, it will have to be done before then. So watch the interwebs uh, and our Twitter account, I guess, and this podcast. Um, If you'd like to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash shift F1. Get access to all those bonus episodes. Uh, But until then, have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week.